Welcome to the Unlocking Your Potential podcast. I'm Laura Keane, the Principal Consultant here at Ask Europe, and I'm very excited today to be talking to Tracy, Tracy McNeil, who has been working closely with us for a while now. Um, thank you for joining us, Tracy. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask you to give us a bit of an introduction. We are here to talk about occupational psychology today and what it means uh, to be a business psychologist. So I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself first up. Tell us about you and where you've come from and what you do. Of course. So uh, I'm Tracy McNeil. Um, as you mentioned, Laura, I am a, a business psychologist. Um, I tend to use the terms business psychologist and occupational psychologist interchangeably. Okay. Um, my background is psychology. So I did a psychology undergraduate with initially the desire to actually go into a different specialism of psychology. So firstly, I wanted to do educational psychology because um, I used to work with children. So child development has always interested me. So I went to uni, studied psychology with the desire to do educational psychology and soon realised that that would probably be quite um, emotional for me. I'd want to kind of save all the children that I was working yeah. with. Um, and I did a, a module in my undergraduate degree about occupational psychology and it just really interested me. I loved the idea of working with businesses and the individuals within businesses to make leadership in particular better. So that's what took me down the path of occupational psychology. And um, from that, I did my master's in occupational and organizational psychology. Okay. Um, and uh, after that, started in the world of work um, in the area of Oxyc. Uh, working with different businesses to do my chartership. So I'm, I'm now a chartered occupational psychologist and I've been working in the area of assessment and development in talent management for about 18 years now. Wow. Um, so tell us, tell us, well, I'm really interested to hear a bit more about what business psychology is all about. I, I know that there's lots of misconceptions. As soon as, uh, if I'm with a colleague and, and they say, okay, I'm an occupational psychologist and everyone automatically says ah oh, are you reading me are you are you <laughs> yeah are you looking at my body language and all those kind of things what what mm -hmm. does business psychology mean um I think that's a really interesting and broad question and mm. it's always worth looking at what is business psychology not okay um, picking up on some of those misconceptions because I get that as well kind of people are assuming that I'm I'm mind reading which is yeah. not a skill I have um <laughs> I think the challenge is that when you look at occupational psychology there's actually kind of eight different strands that you can work work and move into okay. and when I did my master's we we touched on some of those um so I get misconceptions about the mind reading. I also get assumptions that when I say business psychologist, um, I am working within a business in a clinical psychology environment. So supporting people with stress or mental health challenges, which I'm not qualified to do. That would be a clinical psychologist. Okay. Um, and I also get assumptions when I say I'm an occupational psychologist, that I'm working in the area of occupational therapy, uh, which of course, again, I'm not. Um, 
the way that I describe myself as either a business or occupational psychologist is that I work in the area of behavior. I hate, I help people to understand their behaviors and their style and help them to fulfill their own potential. And that has the side effect of an, for an organization of having people in the right roles doing the best thing. And I think that's probably the simplest way that, that I describe it. So they don't teach you to mind read then in your master's? No, I mean, that would help in, in all aspects of life if they did. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose what, what you do do, and I, I think it's a bit of a chicken and egg, to be honest, Laura, as to whether my interest in people drove me down the route of business psychology or business psychology made me focus more on other people's behaviour. And certainly not when I'm in social interactions. I, I don't do this at all. Um, but when I'm in work mode... I am noticing things about what people say and how they say things to try and read between the lines and underneath the surface. And I'm mm -hmm. noticing whether their body language is congruent with what they're saying, because that gives us as business psychologists clues about what people are focusing on, what their strengths are, what they need to do better and, and the way they go about doing things. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think particularly relevant right now you know we've come off the back of a couple of really hard years with the pandemic and emerged into whatever this is right now and there's so many people I think just kind of operating in in autopilot yeah and having those conversations as a leader and as a business psychologist to say no actually what's really going on for you mm -hmm. And, and and so my background um is is in HR. So I, you know, th there's a lot of stuff where we cross over, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. And a lot of the, a lot of the stuff where we're quite different. How do you see, you know, HR, communications, coaching, business psychology kind of aligning and supporting each other? Mm, I mean, they're they're skills that I think are used both in business psychology and in HR. And of course, a lot of the time, people who are our clients are um, work in the HR function. Yeah, it, it depends on how big the, the organization is that we're working with as to how HR is structured. Yeah. Um, so sometimes we're working with people in the L&D space. Sometimes they talk about them being in the talent space. I suppose the, the areas of HR that we don't really touch on are the kind of employee relations side and the, and the Ben side. Um, but the HR function, a lot of the skills that individuals in that function need are aligned with understanding people, recognising people. I think there's probably more process-driven um, requirements within kind of yeah. pure HR um, and I like to really clarify that I'm not an HR specialist when I'm talking to new clients or I'm talking to even just introducing myself at parties and things and social yeah. interactions and saying no I, uh, HR are often my clients but I don't work in HR because you then suddenly get people saying oh I've got this challenging person that I'm working with <laughs> and I think the difference there is that maybe somebody who is more pure HR would start talking about right, what are the processes that you might need to go through with that person but from a, a, a psychology perspective I'd be asking well what do you think is the trigger for that person behaving in that way or what do you think is the underlying cause or the reason and is there enough leadership support and um, is the culture the right type of culture that you you want to focus on mm. but 
you know, you said some of the skills at the beginning there around kind of coaching in particular, I think is really key and the type of thing that as a business psychologist I would focus on um, as well as somebody in HR and managers as well of course managers in organizations you can get really strong skills there in terms of um, almost behavioral psychology skills and I've certainly worked with managers who have been really interested in business psychology and gone on to want to kind of study some of it themselves. Yeah oh that's interesting you mentioned there about um, how people are starting, and I'm hearing it more and more actually, to talk about working in the the talent space. Yeah. How would you differentiate, or would you differentiate between learning and development and talent? I think talent feels broader. Yeah. Learning and development conjures up that association of training courses or yeah. e-learning, whereas talent is about the management and movement of talent through the organization yeah. um, right from kind of recruiting the right people through to succession planning for those director and c-suite level roles and of course some of that might incorporate uh, L&D programs training courses e-learning but I think there's more to it when you use the term talent I think of coaching being a bolt-on as well and um, things like mentoring as well it's about how do we make the best out of the talent we have within the organization. And for me, it feels like it's driven more therefore by the people and the, um, the business rather than kind of HR or L&D providing something. I that like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, you know, particularly in straightened times, you know, it's, it's not yeah. easy for organizations out there. It's this real focus on who do we have where do we need to be as a business and how do we make sure that the talent that we have is aligned with that and we're planning for the future Mm, yeah and of course we see that more and more in organizational structures don't we with kind of aligned hr or talent business partnering approaches yeah 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 no absolutely um so so just to kind of bring this to life for people and and thinking just in real practical terms Mm. What are the kind of projects that you get involved in? What are the kind of things that you do? What does your day look like? Oh, Laura, it's so varied. There's no typical day in the life for me, unfortunately. (laughs) I I mean, I work across the span of assessment and development. um, And this is my kind of introduction to myself as well. And I always talk about what I'm passionate about, because one of the things that I really focus on and, you know, us at Ask do as well is around that strengths-based psychology, that positive psychology approach. Um, So what I'm really passionate about and the projects that I love to get involved in um, involve leadership development. And that the reason for that development could be because there's identification of individuals who have high potential to be leaders of the future, or it could be about um, instigating a new level of leadership and supporting what that might look like. Um, or it could be part of an organisational cultural change. But I, I love projects that allow me to work with the client to design something that is bespoke to them and delivers the successes and the outcomes that they need um, mm-hmm whether they articulate those needs or not, that's part of, I believe, my approach as a consultant, as a business psychologist at the beginning of a project, to really tease out what is it they think they need and what can we see underneath the surface that they really need. Um, 
for me, any project though has to deliver lasting behavioral change yeah. um, for the organization and for the individuals, because that is what allows us to deliver um, cultural change. So, I, you know, I love working with clients to identify those needs and then applying principles from the world of business psychology that allow me to understand individuals and design a program that is bespoke and useful to them as individuals and the organisation as a whole. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned there about that lasting behavioural change yeah. and, and kind of I guess measuring the impact of the kind of work that we do, it's the holy grail, isn't it? It's, you mm. know, how do we make sure that we do have that lasting change? Any yeah. kind of tips, techniques? What do you think are the kind of things that work there? What, to measure that change? Well, to, well to, to, to be thinking about, to be focusing on how do we make sure this sticks? Mm. And then I guess you'd be able to measure it later on. Yeah, of course. So uh, I think part of that is about the, the scoping at the start of any project to identify what's working and what isn't working. Because back to that point of positive psychology, it shouldn't always be about changing what's broken. It's yeah. also about what are we doing well that we need to support to continue doing and perhaps even do even better. Um and for me, a lot of that lasting behavioural change is not about trying to get an individual to focus on, right, what am I not doing well and what do I need to do differently? Um, but it's about understanding what they're doing really well and what their natural style is and their natural approaches. And I think this is where some of the psychology comes in even more mm. because I will be focusing on right, what is an individual's personality? What is their natural um, mode of operation? Um, because if you've got somebody who perhaps has been given three um, 360 feedback to say, you know, needs to speak up more in meetings, but they're naturally very reserved, perhaps a, a natural introvert, that won't necessarily sit right with them. So yeah. it's about right, how can you get your really strong and valuable points across in a way that feels comfortable to you? Yeah. Um, so the behavioral change needs to be tailored to the individual. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing, which is can be quite difficult to achieve when you're yeah. running like a broad leadership program, which is why I think supplementing programs with personalized individual coaching works really well. Yeah. Um, but as well, you know, the, the high potential learning journey that we focus on within Ask allows us to identify um, what potential the individual has and how they can deliver that. And yes. through our approach of kind of engage learn transfer we're focusing on learning but also how do we apply this learning in the real world and we can do that in the safe space of a kind of a module but we can also encourage individuals to use the learning of you know whatever model or approach that we're focusing on in the module how can they then use that within their next team meeting yeah. What can they do to actually do things slightly differently in terms of their approach in a manner that still feels right and comfortable for them to get the best out of themselves and other people? And of course, then when it comes to the measurement at the very end, um, all like HR, talent, L&D teams are tasked with proving their worth, aren't they? Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. we can identify ways to measure that in, in a quantitative manner very early on in the project but for me personally as a, as a facilitator of these programs 
what means most to me is bumping into somebody the next time I'm in the organization and they say, oh, I'm still using that model that you taught us. And, you know, I've done this with my team and, you know, everyone's so much more engaged now. Like those qualitative feedback testimonial points mean so much more to me. But of course, they don't always translate into a here's how much money we've saved. Here's how much points we've gone up on our engagement survey. But I think they're they're almost more meaningful. I'll probably get told off for saying that, but (laughs) I I do. I I think, you know, it is about proving that business impact, isn't it? But but those personal moments as a facilitator, I think are just they're priceless, aren't they? When you see the light light bulb go off for someone or somebody does come back and say, actually that changed everything yeah you know those little conversations that's the that's why it's people that are doing this rather than robots why well exactly and I always say that you know change organizational change at a cultural level starts with one person doing something differently consistently and if that one person can influence somebody else to do something a bit differently towards the same direction then you know we're creating momentum, aren't we? We're creating a change through people, not robots. <laughs> yeah, not robots. Um, and I love that. And it's those that, that those kind of one percent, the the incremental changes, rather than somebody coming onto a program and saying, "I'm wholesale going to change everything I do." And as you said, that won't work if that's not the kind of person they are. Yeah. And we can say to them, you know, make those small changes, build those new habits. Yeah, and then we're building new organisational habits as well. I really yeah, love that. Of course, and if, you know, we come in as external people saying, you know, you try this, do this, and you have a often a room full of people or a, a virtual room full of people saying, but we've got this blocker, this blocker, and this blocker. So yeah. I think as well, you know, and I, it's really important to um, talk about those blockers and what can be overcome and what can't. Um, and with lead groups of leaders, particularly leaders at kind of middle management or kind of first senior level management, depending on the size of the organization, they're in that kind of sandwiched situation, yeah. aren't they, where there's only so much they can influence if they're not the ones who are changing the strategy of the organization. Uh, but I always talk again about that. It takes one person to start the change, but also where can you influence and yeah. what can you influence to help with the change? And, you know, as time goes by, those leaders who are trying to do things differently will become even more senior. And then they do have the absolute control to be able to make changes in the right way. So sometimes it's about biding your time. And other times as facilitators, we just have to be really mindful of the operational challenges that people are, are facing. But mm. as an outsider, we can bring some challenge to that individual or to that group and say, but why can't you do that? And what is it that's standing in your way? And how can you go around that? And what else can you do? And what support can you get for that? So I think that can be really invaluable for people as well. Mm. And and also talking about that influence and control Mm. to to, to go and, and say to people, okay, well, why are you spending all your time and emotional energy focusing on getting frustrated or, upset or or concerned about stuff that is outside of your control bring it closer to that uh center of the the control circle so that you can focus on you know the practical stuff that you can do 
Exactly. And I think that's where some of the psychology comes in as well. Like I will quite often be drawing on models or concepts that are part of the design, but also some that aren't, some that I just know, because when we're having discussions with individuals as part of coaching sessions or in groups, when we're in a, a program for leaders, there's always something that they talk about that isn't strictly related to exactly what we're focusing on. And I think it's really important to often go down that route and have that conversation because if it's important enough for them to raise it there and then we're not going to enable behavioral change if we don't address it. I completely agree with you there. And again, it's, it's another reason why we don't have robots facilitating programs isn't it because we need to pick up on that stuff and sometimes that means going off on a bit of a tangent or going off script because you're helping people in the room aren't you yeah exactly you mentioned there about that kind of anecdotal feedback Mm. what what can you think of something I know I'm putting you on the spot here and I apologize (laughs) Tracy what's been your biggest personal achievement your biggest success when it comes to work Oh, that's so hard because I think sometimes sometimes it's the smaller achievements actually that mean the most to me. Um, I've certainly had experiences where I've been working with individual leaders um, and the the project itself has involved um, having one-to-one sessions with them to get them to understand their personality style, their learning approach, their potential derailers and I think it's what happens in those sessions where somebody all of a sudden has that that light bulb moment, that realization that, oh, that that's why I do that that way and why it doesn't work with the rest of my team because they're very different to me. Yeah. And I think it's those small realizations that actually probably mean the most to me because I've helped that individual and you can see that in their face and mm-hmm. you know that they are understanding so much more and they will do things differently now because of that understanding and and what that then does if I'm then doing like a follow-on development program with a group of leaders who I've had those one-to-one sessions with um, up front is it means that those those sessions as a group are so different because everybody has their own own personal understanding and their personal insight as to what they need to focus on more so yeah those those real kind of I think moments where I feel I've made a difference to an individual because I know that subsequently that will have an organizational impact as well so powerful um I'm gonna ask you a final question Tracy this is so interesting if if people are listening and they think okay well we're interested in this concept of kind of talent and thinking about how that moves through the business so that we have the business impact where would an organization start where would you recommend that they go first oh that's a really good question I I think talking to the people Mm -hmm. looking at any kind of measures that are already there engagement surveys data and statistics on kind of absence Mm -hmm. um, and also just getting a feel for what is the culture here because you know the culture is driven by both leadership but also at that um, operational level like what goes on in the organization so I think getting to grips with that through a little bit of kind of underground research can be really useful 
um, and then obviously talk to us. Like we, we can come in and help. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Tracy. That's been so interesting um, and, and actually, you know, clarified some of those misconceptions. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Laura.